One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This is the Frey podcast, brought to you by thefrey.com, a place for women who want more from life. Today's podcast is a conversation with Amber Romaniak on the topic of emotional eating, binge eating, and I guess in general, disordered eating thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Now by nature, because we are talking about this topic, I wanted to give a very clear trigger warning up front that this episode may not be suitable for everyone. If themes of eating disorders cause you distress, please skip today's episode. Listener discretion is strongly advised here. That said, I do think this conversation with Amber will be really powerful for a lot of our listeners and powerful because of the information in it for sure and just from hearing Amber's story as well, but powerful in the sense of letting you know that you're certainly not alone if you find yourself struggling with eating behaviors, feelings of guilt around food, self-sabotaging, all of that sort of stuff. It is so common. It is so much more common than you could even imagine. We opened up an anonymous question box for this episode, and by far, out of all of the question boxes we've opened, this is the topic that we were inundated with. Questions, yes, comments, and just general enthusiasm for shining more of a light on this topic. Now, Amber is an emotional eating, digestive, and hormone coach. She thrives on helping high-achieving women overcome emotional and binge eating and gut and hormone issues. She also really loves just shining a light on all the ways that our eating and our relationship to food is connected to so many other areas in our life. You can find out more from Amber. You can hear more from Amber, I should say, by following her on Instagram. Her handle is in the show notes or heading over to her website as well, which is amberapproved.ca. Again, all of the details are in the show notes. And again, just to really stress that this conversation does include both Amber and I sharing bits and pieces of our own, I guess, emotional eating and disordered eating journeys as well. Practice discretion, listen to it. I hope that it's really helpful for you. As always, if you enjoy an episode, please do let me know. Slide on into my DMs or join the close friends list. And as always, it would mean the world if you do take a moment to leave a review, a rating, click follow on the podcast um, or share it with a loved one or friend who you think could really benefit from this episode in particular. 
because so many of us have been or are in this situation and it's just, it's not something that we have to struggle with alone. So enjoy my conversation with Amber. Amber, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to have this conversation with me today. My pleasure, Kylie. Thank you for having me. Now, I think perhaps we should begin with how on earth you found yourself in a position of having so much passion and knowledge on the topic of emotional eating and why it is that you feel so called to speak directly to women on this topic. Yeah, that's such a great place to start. It really came from my own experience growing up and dealing with severe body image issues, going through a pretty intensive food addiction, binging and purging, binge eating, emotional eating. I feel like I experienced every spectrum of, you know, an emotional relationship with food except for anorexia. Like it's it just so many phases of it, so much intensity and you know, just a few key things that shaped this deep self-sabotage that I found myself in by my early 20s was, you know, there's experience that happen in our life that shape the way we show up and how we feel in our thoughts and beliefs, right, as we grow up. And so when I was five, the first day on the bus, I got on the bus and the older boys called me fat and ugly. And then the whole bus was making fun of me. And that just like shrunk my soul, I swear, like, because you, you're like, I'm going to make friends and your soul's so open when you're that, you're just so innocent and high vibe and you get on and just like crushed. That and I believe it. Yes, exactly. And so I really took on the identity of I'm, I'm, I'm ugly, I'm fat, like, and that really was my identity for the next 25 years. And then I grew up um, in a household where food was always available and it was used to compensate for like, you know. I'll share examples. My mom, she had multiple sclerosis um, almost her whole life for like, you know, 40 years or so. And she had me and growing up, one of the ways to compensate because she couldn't walk very far. There's certain things we couldn't do because of some of the symptoms she would have was let's do this with food. Let's make sure there's food. And after I healed my relationship with food, I really realized the severe food addiction that she was, you know, experiencing as well. So some of that innocently rubbed off. And then you hit your preteens and your teens and your, you know, I was consumed with Hollywood and music videos and magazines and like all the body image stuff that you get all these images just planted in your mind of what you think you should look like. And then you look in the mirror and you, you shame yourself because you don't. And so this all accumulated into my teens and I was dieting and things really got bad when I had, you know, got broken up with my first serious relationship. I couldn't eat. I was so upset. And so I started losing weight really fast. Uh, And then I restricted heavily, exercised two hours a day and got to my quote unquote goal weight quite quickly um, and then realized that it didn't fix anything. And I was really hurt, really upset alone. And then my first binge was triggered um, after going to a barbecue and like taking the chocolate and the ice cream into the bathroom and like secretly eating it all. And everyone's like, what happened to the chocolate and the ice cream? And just the shame. And then from there, it just snowballed into binging, binging and purging, trying to have control over my weight. But then I gained like 70 pounds in four months. So I went from too thin to now, like just being so embarrassed and ashamed with my body and wanting to hide and isolate at home. And I did, I really, I quit all my hobbies, like my full blown food addiction was really birthed at that point. And I was about 21 years old. And, you know, I was broke, I had a crappy retail job. And, you know, I was just like, what the heck is going on? Why is this happening? I don't really know what this is. But I can't stop like I don't want to hurt myself. I don't actually want to do this. But I don't know how to stop. 
And that's where it all really started. And people always say like, what was the, what was the low point? And it was, I call it the garbage can moment where I finished a binge. I was laying on the couch crying, like truly concerned. I was not going to actually live to 30 because I was so destructive on my body. And, you know, I always threw the food in the garbage because that was the point where I would not go past. Um, so I was laying there crying, just like, oh my gosh, what's going on with my life? And, you know, the food starts to digest. And I'm thinking, well, if this is the last time I'm going to do this, because I'm going to start figuring this out tomorrow, I might as well finish a bit more of it, right? That justification coming in. And so I went into my little apartment, pulled out my blue garbage can and dug through and I pulled out the cookies and I started to eat them. And I just sat on the floor. I'm like, how did this end up being my life? I just ate out of a garbage can. I'm mortified. I'm so embarrassed. Nobody knows. I don't want anybody to know. I'm alone. I'm unhappy. I'm so unwell. Like I, I had, I had a pretty good upbringing. What happened? I don't understand. And, and it was that low point that really, what it did is it crushed the fear of dealing with it. The fear of the unknown of who'd I, who would I be if I wasn't using food as a crutch, mm-hmm. right? What would my identity look like if I s- tried to deal with my, uh, you know, unworthiness and my insecurity and not feeling good enough and all the stuff that I'd just been numbing and shoving down. And I needed it to happen because in that moment, the suffering became bigger than, than the fear of change. Yeah. Oh, I'm just sitting here with tears in my eyes because I so relate to everything you just said in that, you know, short, short amount of time. And I know that it's a lot to try and get your story in, (laughs) you know, in five minutes, but from talking about the imprinting at an early age, and then also what I guess the behavior that was reconfirmed for you by bonding with your mum through food and the emotional connection to food and then right through to the losing weight. And I mean, I imagine when you were losing weight after that breakup, people praised you as well. Yep. Oh yeah. Like it's actually crazy how much more attention I got at that weight versus 15 pounds heavier, let alone obviously then like 60, like every guy opened the door, everybody, every guy wanted to date me. People would be driving down the highway, like whistling at me. And then when I gained the weight, none of that, the guys that I was dating when I was thinner did not want to have anything to do with me when I gained. Cause obviously I was attracting superficial guys anyway. So as a mirror, but yeah, completely different the way people treated me. And then because you have, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth. This is purely from my own experience as well. I just feel so connected to your story because I'm like, yep, 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 yep. And even yeah. just what you said right then, Amber, about people treat you differently. I remember when I lost a stack of weight in my early 20s, all of a sudden it was like this new identity surrounding being so praised, mm-hmm. you know, and I'd been praised a lot as a kid for my appearance, which I think is all connected to it. But as it, as I went through that process of losing weight and feeling more valuable, it becomes addictive. And then the swing back, and I too went through restriction and binging and gaining a lot of weight after being very underweight. It's so devastating because you've already like lost a connection to yourself, but then you're losing the approval of other people and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know. I don't know what to do anymore. And so I think that's why it's so common that people do, particularly women, find themselves in this cycle, this cycle that you just mentioned of, you know, I'm going to eat everything because that meets a need and then I'm going to restrict because that meets another need of control and then hitting rock bottom like you did on your kitchen floor and going, 
holy hell, I cannot live this way. Yeah. What do I do? Yeah. And you're right. Like it's, we're really chasing that dopamine hit when we feel really unworthy and we feel insecure. Like when we look good enough, when we get this approval and praise from everyone, we got the dopamine hits just going off, you know, all over the place. Yeah, and like maybe outsourcing. <laughs> exactly. And then, but you're going to be chasing validation forever and never feel worthy if, if you continue in that kind of behavior or people pleasing, perfection, proving, needing to look a certain way. And that's where I think people stay stuck in emotional eating. Because they can go from maybe they quit eating for a while, but then they're like, oh, I'm going to like do a bunch of stuff for other people and make sure other people are happy to keep getting the validation. And then maybe they have a period where they're not getting it from others. And then they go back to food to get the dopamine hit. Mm, Absolutely. Now you've said the term, you've mentioned the term, I should say, emotional eating. What is emotional eating to you? Can you explain it for our listeners? Because I think it, um, a lot of us will say, oh, I'm going to go and have a binge tonight or, oh, I binged on pizza, but really they just enjoyed pizza with friends and family, but they're using the mm. word binge. Whereas for other people, binge is you know, significantly more extreme. I think it's the same with emotional eating. People will say, oh, I'm really eating my feelings today, but they'll say it in a lighthearted way. But then for yeah. someone else, emotional eating to them could be incredibly damaging. Yeah. Yeah. So there's different layers or levels of emotional eating and same with, you know, binge eating. And so to me, emotional eating is any reason for eating other than physical nourishment. So you're eating and while you're watching TV, right? Like mindless, not paying attention, overeating, you're eating because you're sad, you're bored, you're unhappy, you're really happy, right? Um, You know, people say, well, how is eating while I'm working um, emotional eating? Well, I go, because the reason the driver that you can't stop and prioritize nourishing your body is because you feel guilty, or you feel like you are not worthy to take time to eat, right? So there's always an unworthiness or some kind of factor there that's like driving that I I can't, I don't have time to make myself a priority. You know, um, hormone imbalances fuel emotional eating, gut issues fuel emotional eating, Um, being really ungrounded and our energy just being so out of our body can fuel emotional eating. There's so many things that fuel it. So it can be on a small context where it's like, I've had a stressful day, I want to eat half of a chocolate bar. Right. And then, you know, some people, yeah, they'll go, oh, yeah, I'm going to go binge on pizza. But then they have two pieces. But the guilt and their diet mentality of like, I have to eat perfectly and I shouldn't be eating this, you know, gives them this false feeling of I'm, you know, binging and I'm doing something bad to my body when there is such a thing as mindful indulgence. Um, And then I think where we can get into when you're losing control with food. So you start eating something and then you can't stop or you start eating something and then your ego comes in and goes, well, you already ate that. You might as well keep going and the day is ruined. So eat whatever you want, that all or nothing mentality. That's a huge emotional eating trigger. And then it can go from emotional eating to binging where we're losing control. We don't stop until we're so full, we're sick or we're eating until we're sick and then we're purging. Um, so that's kind of the full spectrum from that minor to, to the extreme. Mm. And so you mentioned there with emotional eating, that's really anytime you're eating other than when you're just eating purely for nourishment and to satisfy your hunger, does that classify, does that include then like birthdays and special occasions? Do you still consider that as emotional eating? But I guess what I'm asking is like, is emotional eating always a bad thing or, you know? Yeah. So to me, birthdays and like holidays and you're going out to have that, you know, meal that maybe you don't eat all the time because it's your favorite restaurant. That to me is not emotional eating. That to me is you being in your power with food and going, 
I can have balance, which is mindfully eating and nourishing my body to fuel and give myself life. And because I'm a human being and balance is healthy, I can also have mindful indulgence, which is eating a piece of cake and really enjoying it, which is having pizza, which is having that thing. But where it starts to turn into emotional eating from there is if you eat it and then you're triggered, right? That ego's like, oh, you messed up. Now you should just eat whatever you want. Or you start eating it and you get a massive dopamine hit and then you can't stop. So innocent mindful indulgence for a lot of people turns into emotional eating because of the guilt and the shame and the self-judgment that is like lit up when they start to have an indulgence likely because they've dieted or have a body insecurity. And so they deem these foods as bad, right? Mm -hmm. And then that pushes them into the cycle. But I do believe it's truly possible to have a mindful relationship with food where you nourish and then you also get to have mindful indulgence. We've just got to heal that unworthiness. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So that overwhelm of feeling guilty, of feeling bad, of feeling like you need to take back control and purge or restrict to like get the odds back in your favor, get back in control. That's obviously a big sign that emotional mm-hmm. eating is happening. What are some other signs or symptoms for our listeners to be mindful of? Because, you know, and I can put my hand up and say, this is me at times. I will think that the way that I'm living is so normal, but it's just because it's my normal. And then I'll have a right. conversation with someone else. and I'll be like, oh, hang on. You don't think like that or you don't feel that way after a certain thing and it's always such a good reminder that situations are so subjective to individuals and I'm sure there will be people listening who are just so used to these feelings of guilt that they think it's just part of life so what are some other things that we can be mindful of yeah so I think you know when you're looking to see if you're in these behaviors if you just finished dinner and you're going and digging through the cupboard right that's a sign that there might be emotional eating going on. If you get on the scale that day and you don't like the number that you see and you get really critical of yourself and now I, I can only eat salads, but then later in the day you're so triggered you end up you know, getting extra ice cream on the way home or you pull out the bag of chips and you eat through half of it or the whole thing. Um, if you're in a mentality of I can't, maybe you were taught this growing up, you can't leave your plate unless it's fully cleaned up. But then you're actually innocently overeating and you're not tuning into your, you know, fullness cues and your hunger signals, Um, you know, going back to the working or watching TV or being on technology and eating, we're not paying attention to how full we're getting and it makes it so much easier to overeat or maybe it's a meal that you really love and you're enjoying the taste of it and you know you're full but you keep going right? And then you're too full and then the guilt comes in and you're bloated and you're like, oh, my outfit's not going to fit properly tomorrow. So these are definitely some some big signs. And then it's like um, the visual trigger I find is one of the biggest that I see most women and clients that come to me with, which is they know it's in the house and they can't stop thinking about it. Obsessive. And then they, they're like, I'm just going to have a little bit. But then they go back five minutes later and have a bit more. And then by the end of the night or the next day, like it's gone, right? Or you're the kind of person that's like, it's in the house. I'm going to finish it so that it's not like staring me in the face tomorrow. Yeah. Why is moderation so hard for so many of us? 
Big Ooh. question. We've got all, yeah, all the answers. <laughs> it's a great question. No, seriously. Okay. There's a lot of things, a lot of reasons why. We're not taught moderation. We're taught extremes. We're taught perfection. And if you can't be perfect, well, there's something wrong with you when perfection doesn't exist. Diets fuel rules, restrictions. You have to be perfect on diet. So guess what happens when you fail on the diet or you can't attain it, which most of us can't because they're unrealistic? Well, then you're rebelling and going, well, today sucked, right? A bad day or this happened. I'm going to eat all the things I wasn't supposed to have on the diet. So that fuels um, a lack of moderation because now we've programmed our minds so much to go all or nothing, in or out. I'm either perfect on the diet or I'm out. A lot of the foods that people are losing control with and or crave or using as a coping mechanism are very addictive. You know, refined sugar is 10 times more addictive than cocaine. You know, MSG, aspartame, they are enhancers. They make us produce more dopamine. They throw our blood sugar more off. We crave them more. Detoxing from them sometimes can feel like a drug withdrawal. I went through that. I was just going to say, I remember hearing in another podcast episode where they were chatting with a food scientist and the food scientist said when they're developing snacks to make them like moreish and to make you want to keep eating, there's this sweet spot where they want it to be, to taste, you know, say it's orange flavored, for example, they get it to this sweet spot where it tastes enough like orange that we would recognize it as orange, but not too much because if it tastes too much like a real orange, we then could become satisfied quicker so it's like this sweet spot so it's we've got so much kind of working against us we've got scientists engineering food to make us want to keep eating yeah yeah because they make a lot of money off of addiction and and then the, the diet industry makes trillions of dollars off of you know feeding off of desperate women who hate their bodies and think that that's the only way that they're going to be able to fix it which is really sad it's really sad the way that it's set up um and the dopamine hit is real though like when you are in a food addiction or emotional eating and you start thinking about the food and you have the food and you're salivating, like it's almost as though this like wall comes over and you just, your eyes glaze over and you, you don't think about anything else. You're just so in it. And again, like I said, even if you don't want to do it when you're at that point, it can feel really hard to stop. The other reason why um, moderation is difficult in the beginning of this journey is because every time you emotionally eat, or you associate food, some kind of mindless food behavior with like TV or at eight o'clock, it's like my numb out time or whatever it is, you're wiring a neural pathway in your brain. And every time you keep repeating that at eight o'clock tomorrow night, or you pop the TV on that pathway in your brain, it's also just called a habit is lighting up and going, oh, it's time for you to eat and watch TV. Oh, it's your 8 p.m. numb out time. Like it's time for you to eat. Oh, you go to this place and you eat these foods. And every time you do it, it creates a deeper groove. Yes, exactly. So that's honestly one of the biggest reasons why it's so difficult for people to gain traction and really heal. This is because we're not taught about the neural pathway wiring. We're not taught about the dopamine hits and how it impacts our blood sugar and our cortisol and all these different things. It's it is. There is so much stacked against us and it's it's not your fault and it's not because you don't have willpower. And you mentioned that kind of like trance-like state where it just comes over you and you feel like you cannot control your actions. That really happens a lot with binging whereby mm-hmm. you just can feel your body going through the motions. Sometimes, it, you know, for me in my early 20s when I went through it, I remember so vividly feeling just robotic 
going through the motions, shoveling the food in and knowing, like knowing that this was causing me pain and knowing that this was feeding the cycle, but literally being unable to stop myself. Is that like, in your opinion, is that just because it was meeting such a need for me on a deeper level? Like, is that, do you think that's part of it? Or is it just like that, you know, that programming is so deep that I couldn't break myself out of it. I think a bit of both because I think we we get into these coping behaviors because we don't know what else to do with our emotions and our feelings and our unworthiness or whatever's going on. And so we're t- like foods everywhere. You go to the bookstore. That's why it's so and hard. Right? Exactly. I mean, if, if you're an alcoholic, <laughs> you can literally avoid situations where alcohol is available. But this is why I think eating disorders, it's like one of the cruelest things you can go through because Mm -hmm. you need, you like, you need to recover to an extent where you can operate because you can't avoid it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, there's so much temptation and it's staring us in the face and all the commercials, if you have TV are like fast food and all the junky stuff for it, they're not throwing broccoli commercials on TV. And, and then you are, if you have intensive cravings, right, because you're eating all this food, you have intense sugar cravings, bread cravings, cheese cravings, salt cravings, whatever it is, like those fuel you into that, like eyes glaze over binge moment as well. And yeah, it's just like a lot of women especially that I come into contact with and me too, I was so afraid of feeling and just being in a moment with myself that was uncomfortable. The the numbing out and the binging and just shoving it all down felt like the easier way to cope. Yeah, I, I can so relate to that. I know for me, it was definitely a numbing out. And that mm. just so translates to that robotic trance-like state because you yeah. are, you're numbing, you're numbing yourself out. Now, I know this is not an easy uh, question to answer because there's so many different situations and there's so many different ways that people can heal. But if someone is listening along and they are like, yes, I am struggling with my emotional eating or holy moly, they're describing my binge restrict cycle. What is like one of the first steps, like some low hanging fruit Mm, that people mm. can grab onto to make some changes? Yeah, because there's honestly a lot of like small things that people can start with. So this is a good, good place to start. So the first thing is try to keep a piece of paper or journal and, and, you know, start writing down what's triggering you to emotionally eat. Is the certain emotions? Is this having certain foods in the house that you're really vulnerable to, which is a real thing? Um, you know, is it certain like you people please and then you get overwhelmed and your schedule's too booked? But start to make note of your triggers, even after they happen. Failure is inevitable. Your triggers have a lot to teach you. And as you build awareness of what your triggers are, you're going to be able to start to stop them or interrupt them. Also, as soon as you start to feel triggered, you know, what are the first signs? Are you having cravings? Are you thinking about certain foods? Um, and as soon as you can catch that, can you try to stay out of the kitchen or wherever the food is, go upstairs, go into a different room and start journaling about how you're feeling and, and start exploring and understanding what's really going on. Remind yourself, I'm safe right now. There's no bear in front of me. Yes, this is uncomfortable to feel, but ultimately I'm safe and I'm going to be okay, right? Some reassurance. Um, and actually ask yourself, before I go and eat that, is this physical hunger 
or emotional hunger. So physical is going to be things like your stomach growling. You have a hunger signal. And if you don't, you might have a thyroid issue. Um, you're faint, dizzy, lightheaded. You let your blood sugar get too low. Um, maybe you look at the clock and realize you haven't eaten in three hours. Those are more physical cues. But otherwise, if you're like, I just ate, I know I'm not physically hungry. This is emotional. That's going to give you more insight into going and exploring what's going on. Absolutely. And I think a lot of us don't even really realize when we're hungry because it is just so convenient to sort of nibble throughout the day. And I know for a lot of parents in particular, we're forever just like finishing off our children's food. Right. So it's like we don't actually get hungry because it's like, oh, I'll finish off their morning tea. And then you think, <laughs> oh, do I need a morning tea? Like, so I think a lot of parents can get in the habit of just surviving off scraps yeah. and not really realizing are they hungry? Are they not? Oh, I agree 100%. And and not only that, but it's hard to tune into your own hunger cues and appetite levels when you're focusing on taking care of your child, right? You're, you're making sure that they're taking care of. So you're not checking in and going, okay, am I hungry? How full am I getting? You know, it's just not happening. And it's Abs- innocent. Absolutely. And you mentioned there, like focusing on your child. But what if someone is really like hyper fixated or focused on weight loss as a goal? Why is it that the more we focus on something, the harder it often is to actually obtain or make any progress? Like I've got a girlfriend and we were having this chat last week and she's like for months been quite hard on herself with wanting to lose some weight. And again, we could do a whole other episode on fat phobia and diet Mm. culture and everything like that. There's, There's a lot to unpack, but she has a goal of wanting to lose some weight, but it's like the more she focuses on it, the more resistance there is around it and she can't quite get to her goal. Why is that? Because what you resist persists, right? And so essentially what ends up happening is the more we try to force the body to change when she's maybe not ready to change, um, maybe she doesn't feel safe. And I don't mean like there's a threat, right? I'm talking about if you're emotionally eating and restricting and then dieting and using food as punishment, exercise as punishment even, your body is being put into a stress response. If you're in negative self-talk with yourself all the time, your body's in a negative stress response. Your cortisol levels may be going through the roof and that's our stress hormone. And 100% of the women I've worked with have had this imbalance, including myself very severely at the time. So our cortisol goes very off. And guess what some of the symptoms are when you have high cortisol? A lot of water retention, abdominal weight gain, troubles losing weight, brain fog, low energy, more cravings. So there's that aspect of it. That's big. And then the more we're emotionally eating, the more inflammation we have, the more our digestive system goes out of whack. And so the more physical symptoms we have, the more more we're feeling emotionally that we're at war with our bodies and our bodies out to get us, the more she's going, I love you unconditionally, but I don't know what's going on and why, you know, you can't, you know, treat me the same way. So I'm going to just hang on to protection and keep putting it on and, and or not let go until you come inside and and look at what's going on and figure it out because I have a lot to teach you. And once you understand what I'm trying to speak to you and, and share with you about, I will release it without diets, restriction, exercise. It'll just come off. That's literally what actually happens, but we cannot force it. The last two things the body wants to do when she's not feeling safe is reproduce and lose weight. Yeah, absolutely. It makes so much sense. Now, if someone is kind of listening to this conversation, right, and they're thinking, yep, I tick some of these boxes for sure, but I actually like this little world that I've built for myself in, in one way or another, even, mm-hmm. you know, because 
even if something, if even if a behavior is destructive and causing us pain, keeping us stuck in a cycle, often it is because we're meeting a need or mm. reconfirming a belief that we've picked up somewhere along the way. So for a lot of people, this cycle, even though it's not, you know, in quotes, good for them, it feels good and it feels safe and it feels comfortable and controlled. What are some reasons that we could give listeners to push through, Mm. to push through that and see what's on the other side? Yeah. So I think it's really important to take a step back and go, yes, this feels comfortable, but what is it actually costing me to stay in this behavior? How much money am I spending every week on food? Like I'm, I'm not typoing in my bio when I say I spent $50,000 on binge food in, in five years and I, I was a broke starving student, right? So what is it costing you financially on eight sizes of clothing in your closet, supplements you're trying to take to balance things, but you're not absorbing. So you're ending up with expensive pee, diets, trainers, like you're trying to fix this, but you're just taking the bandaid approach. What is it costing you health-wise, right? Are you on medications? Is your blood pressure high? Do you have horrible bloating? Do you have anxiety? And and you're, you know, it's really impacting the quality of your day and your focus. Is it that you can't get pregnant because your hormones are so out of whack, right? So looking at the physical costs, the emotional costs, like the costs with relationships, are you snapping on your partner? Are you not being able to be present with your kids because you're in your head beating yourself up about your weight? Like, these are memories that you want to cherish being present with them and, and your loved ones forever, right? So these are significant costs. Um, to me, another thing to think about is we think we have control, but we're actually completely out of control if we're in an emotional eating dynamic. And so what we want to look at and go, why do I you know, need to have such control here? And usually what's below that is fear and unworthiness, Right. And it's like, you can have the best of both worlds. Instead of being in this self-destructive behavior, you can learn how to build worthiness. You can heal this relationship with food. And then you get to have the best of both worlds where you get to nourish and take care of yourself and love yourself. And you also get to live life and enjoy indulgence and, and not feel the guilt afterwards. So I think it's really around understanding the costs. And I always say like envision being your 90 year old self and looking back on your life. What do you not want to regret? You know? There's a whole whole version of you that you haven't yet gotten to meet. And I think that that's such a poignant question. You know, if you imagine yourself at the end of your life, what is it that you want to be remembered for by your loved ones? And I highly doubt that anyone, and I know for myself, like I highly doubt anyone is going to say, oh, I really want to be remembered that I had such control on my food Mm -hmm. or that I was such a... um, tightly coiled spring at times that's not the legacy that you that most people would want to leave behind and I think that's a really great way to kind of help people leap into their next self or to be propelled into taking some action yeah and I think the last thing is is we don't want to put ourselves in a situation where we manifest a serious illness because we didn't prevent and we didn't try to like do the deeper work right like symptoms keep getting worse. Your body keeps yelling at you louder and louder and and she will continue to do so until you listen, right? So let's prevent, let's prevent that whole thing from even happening by addressing it now and just taking one little step at a time. Yeah. There's that saying about, you know, feather brick truck, you know, you get the sign from the universe at first, (laughs) it's a feather, then it's a brick, then it's a truck. Maybe for some people, this episode will be the feather or the brick, Mm. hopefully not the truck that encourages you to listen and go, huh, 
maybe I don't want to keep existing in this cycle. Yeah, I agree. Mm. It's, it's deep. It is. And there's so much to be said on the topic. And I know that you are always speaking about this topic on your own podcast and your social media platforms. Where can our listeners connect with you? I know that you have a really great quiz that people can Mm -hmm. jump over and do just to help them get in touch with whether or not they are in fact in that emotional eating cycle. Yeah, so exactly. People can go to amberapproved.ca and I have a free emotional eating quiz there so you can take that. If you're wondering if you're struggling, you'll get some links to some podcasts and you can check out the No Sugar Coding podcast. I go into so many different conversations around all of these things that we've chatted about today and a lot more and it's available everywhere. Um, And then of course, if anyone is really struggling and knows it's time to get support, we can have a conversation around that too. Perfect. Now you and I are going to actually go through some questions that have been submitted by our listeners and we're going to pop that in a separate episode. But I think before, before we jump into that separate episode, I did want to ask you just one for this podcast episode, if Mm. that's okay. Um, So let me choose from my list. Amber, when given the chance, I will shove as much food as I can down my throat to make me feel better. Maybe years ago it worked and it gave me a sense of fulfillment that I wanted, but now I no longer get that and I'm left thinking, was it even worth it? Is food my drug? Is it me chasing a high every time? How do I stop this? Mm. Yeah, great question. It definitely is the drug of choice here. And at some point, the dopamine hit stops to be as big. And that's why it doesn't feel fulfilling anymore. Um, So I think the first thing, if you can have compassion for yourself, right, and celebrate this awareness that you've come into, um, because it sounds like you might be ready to really address this and, and move forward from it. And I would definitely suggest, like we talked about earlier, start, you know, before you go to food, pause, Is this physical or emotional hunger? If it's emotional, what do I feel is coming up? Let me check in. How have the last few days been? Have I had a lot of stress? Did I have a negative interaction? Am I feeling insecure in my body today? Did I not sleep well? Like what's been going on that is really pushing this urge to go to food? Is it that this is my vulnerable time of day to eat? That neuropathway we talked about earlier that's lighting up. But start asking yourself these questions and start building awareness around you know, the behavior for yourself so that you can start to catch it. Yeah. And if it's no longer giving you that high, what else could give you that high that's not destructive? You know, we can get high, like emotional peaks and dopamine and highs in ways that aren't going to also cause us to feel terrible later. Yeah. To me, like get out into nature. It's the perfect frequency, right? It helps to ground us, put your feet in the grass, self care, right? Go into a meditation, go into a journal practice, go into breath, EFT tapping, gratitudes, you know, do something yoga, move your body, but get into something that's going to help get you out of your head and into your heart. And you're right. These are all activities. Laugh, put on cute cat videos. I don't know, whatever, whatever you love. Right. But like this helps us produce dopamine and serotonin, those feel good hormones. And you don't need to to eat anything, to create that for yourself. And what's so beautiful is the more you step away from emotional eating and into these beautiful habits and hobbies, you're like, wow, I'm creating this feeling all the time. It's so great. And then you literally, you do not miss the using food at all. And you have a different respect for food. And because you do, 
when you eat something like, you know, that maybe feels a bit more indulgence, there's no guilt. And you're, you feel complete afterward because you filled the internal void. Such good advice. Now, as I mentioned, you and I are going to now record a separate mini episode where we go through these questions. But I have popped all of your details in our show notes and a link directly to your emotional eating quiz and your Instagram. Amber, thank you so much for today. Thank you for having me. This is what I want. This is what I need. If you don't have to go, I can set you free. Are you going? What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.